From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Monday, September 27th. The weather is getting cooler in Moab, and that means more people will be getting out to enjoy the desert landscape. KZMU's Justin Higginbottom reports on what record visitation rates mean for our public lands. I'm standing with Rachel Wooten of the Bureau of Land Management above the low shoreline at Ken's Lake Recreation Area. We're on BLM land. Behind us is a campground with a small fleet of RVs. It's pretty calm now, but the crowds are coming. Yeah, so we've definitely seen growth in visitors to public lands in this area, specifically, you know, over over the last couple of years, but kind of general growth. Uh, Last year, our estimates are about, you know, over 3 million people. That's just in this area of eastern Utah. Some of those visitors are overflow from nearby national parks, like Arches. So we're, we're lucky to live in a place where there's a lot of awesome public lands. And, you know, people often come to this area wanting to see the parks and then, you know, spill off onto other public lands. Wooten is happy for people enjoying the land. But she says there is a price. We pump the pit toilets more frequently. We're, you know, emptying dumpsters more frequently and things like that that maybe, you know, people don't think about. But those are all increased costs that come from additional folks visiting. Judy Brower at the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance thinks the costs don't end there. We're seeing just a lot more impacts. Uh, People creating new trails, people camping in places where they maybe shouldn't be camping. A new study by Utah State University professor Dr. Christopher Mons looks at the environmental impacts of non-motorized recreation on the Colorado Plateau. Those activities include hiking, mountain biking, and camping. The study recommends a plan for better concentrating visitors in previously used sites instead of dispersing more around sensitive resources. It, that's, I mean, that's really the focus of the report. And what the report says is like, you really need to focus on the front country and improving the front country. And and you really need to protect the back country, particularly those places that are so important for wildlife and soils and vegetation. More than a dozen conservation groups, including Browers, have asked the BLM to form a working group to look closer at the impacts of increased recreation. Uh, what, we're, what we're asking for is, is that BLM act proactively instead of reactively. What we're seeing is BM reacting, oh, there's a lot of people using this area. We need to move people to a new place. In the meantime, Wooten at the BLM says there are things that visitors can do to decrease their footprint. Primarily, it's making sure you're staying on designated routes. It's packing in and out your trash because the facilities get full. And especially if a dumpster is full, please don't leave it right next to the dumpster. Right, Try to take it with you because if you leave trash right next to the dumpster, it can actually you know, maybe end up in the river or get blown away. And of course, don't forget to enjoy yourself. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. New sculptures created by artists across the region are now dotting the downtown corridor in Moab. Moab Art Trails installed 11 pieces over the weekend that deal with themes from the environment to consciousness. Okay, here we go. We're ready to go. Many of the artists were in town on Saturday and took the public on a walk to each piece. They explained their techniques and motivations behind their work. One or more pieces could eventually be selected for the public's permanent collection. This is my fourth large-scale one. To have life in any sculpture should have life. 
It's got to have blood. It's got to have tears. It's got to have spit from screaming. Sculptor and co-founder of Moab Art Trails, Michael Ford Dutton, on a recent KZMU Art Talks. And that's what, to me, makes for strong and good sculpture. It was all celebration this weekend as the artists talked about this life in their work. Michael and his partner, Christy Williams Dunton, say Moab Art Trails has bounced back after four sculptures in their previous show were vandalized in February. They say vandalism and damage to public art is an inherent risk to their work, but they're hoping for the best for this new exhibition. We're hoping that the law of averages, that we, that we just did a big yeah. down payment on the law of averages. <laughs> but I look at how many successful shows, uh, like Grand Junctions has been going, I think they're coming in their 36th year. And it's, like I said, it had spawned so many around that, that it, it wouldn't be sustainable if, if it was really high, high frequency. So that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> the new sculptures will be on temporary display throughout the downtown corridor for the next year. You can learn more about the program and the new works at moabartrails.org. At this time last year, firefighters were just over a month into fighting the Cameron Peak wildfire in northern Colorado. At more than 208,000 acres, it's the largest fire in that state's history, and full containment didn't come until December. As KUNC's Alex Hager reports, for the people in charge of protecting the area's water, the work is only getting started. Randy Gustafson is watching helicopters zip back and forth over the Cameron Peak burn scar. They're hooking the net back up, and in a matter of seconds, he's up and out. Instead of scooping up water to drop on flames, the pilots are picking up bulging nets full of wood mulch to scatter over the charred hillsides from the 2020 fire. I'm kind of used to it, and I still, it's just the kid in you comes out watching this. Gustafson works for the city of Greeley. And even though Greeley is a two-hour drive away, this is where the city's water comes from. Snowmelt and rain make their way down from the foothills into the Cache River before that water is piped over to the city. But when that rain falls on a burn scar... It's like a frying pan. It's slick. It'll, uh, the water will run. As the water runs off of it, it'll collect. As it collects... Uh, debris, everything else, it just builds up onto itself, moving through there. So what this does is it'll set down and stabilize the soil. These golden shards of wood, about three inches long, they help hold that dirt in place and keep it out of the runoff. And they're just one part of the city's strategy to keep the water clean. Another effort is underway above Chambers Lake, where the fire started. Big bundles of spongy wood shavings held together by biodegradable nets are laid out on the hillside. They form a baffle and they stop, they collect, as you can see right here, the uh, debris, soil, ash, and keep it from coming down into the, directly into the reservoir. Right now, they are holding back sludgy piles of gray dirt in one of the most severely burned parts of the Cameron Peak fire. This makes it worth it. This makes what we're doing worth it. I mean, this is a microscopic portion of what we have, but it worked and it stopped the bleeding and it's, yeah, this does. This, this gets me amped up. 
But in the grand scheme of things, all this work could just be a band-aid with climate change making things worse. These mega fires, unfortunately, um, are not going to be going anywhere anytime soon. Hallie Streavy directs the Coalition for the Poudre River Watershed. She says that means a lot more work for recovery and prevention around this fire and others like it across the West. You know, we're, we're trying not to lose hope. I think there's still plenty of things that we can do working together collaboratively. That includes precautionary forest management in areas prone to burn. And the fact that it's carried out by a watershed group is just more proof of how connected this all is. Even after a fire burns, it takes a lot of work to keep the water clean. But a restoration project like this one is not cheap. Keeping just one helicopter in the air costs $87 every minute. And this work has been going on for months. Greeley's Deputy Water Director Adam Jokerst says it's worth it for two reasons. One is to protect the public. Mulching and other erosion control structures uh, reduce flooding and protect life and property. And the second reason is water quality. How much is clean, pure mountain water worth? Jokerst said Greeley gets the best bang for its buck from aerial mulching, but they might not have enough money to cover as many acres as they'd like to. What's most critical for us right now um, is lack of funding. We are um, we're spending roughly $300,000 a day, so we go through funding very quickly. And with a long list of tasks to protect more of the watershed, Jokerst says they could use more help, whether that's from the state or from federal infrastructure spending. And he'd like to see more permanent funds set aside for this type of work. Randy Gustafson would, too, especially since fires like this are getting stronger and more frequent. The last 10 years, I've had two major fires, and both of them are the most severe fires we've had. This is the biggest fire in Colorado. And, yeah, this is not... And this, I see this as continuing until the forests are completely, we have nothing left to burn. Greeley's water team says restoration work will carry into the next few years, but because of the size and severity of the burn, it'll never truly be fixed. Alex Hager, KUNC. This story comes from our partners at KUNC. They report that just recently, a team of volunteers planted more than 400 trees in the burn scar. A small step in bringing back some green to an area left mostly barren. And that's the KZMU News for Monday, September 27th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.